Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to a Guilty Feminist Culture episode. I'm very excited today to have, I think it's not unfair to say, a national treasure, um, (laughs) an extraordinary actress, really genuine extraordinary actress, and actually a fellow Amnesty International ambassador with me, uh, who really does care greatly about the world. Uh, I often say, if I am going to get a text message at 2am asking me to sign a petition, uh, I immediately go, oh, this must be. Please welcome Juliet Stevenson. Juliet, <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us. You're one of my favourite people and one of my favourite actors in the world. And I was blown away by this play uh, that you're in. Uh, so firstly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely to be here, Deb. It's absolutely lovely to have you as always. Um, and secondly please tell us about The Doctor, which I first saw at the Almeida, but has now transferred to the West End. And there's been quite a gap because it was meant to transfer to the West End uh, in spring 2020, I believe. Yeah. 
And exactly. I don't know if you, and if the listeners remember anything about spring 2020, but we weren't seeing a lot of plays. Uh, and so here we are in 2022, autumn 2022. And if you're living in the Northern Hemisphere, and it's finally here. Um, this place called The Doctor. Uh, could you tell us about it? So quick, quick, quick synopsis for those who haven't seen it um, or never will. It's based on a play written actually at the beginning of the 20th century by an Austrian, Austrian Jewish writer, but, but it's been up, completely updated and rewritten by the wonderful Robert Icke with, who, who did the Andrew Scott Hamlet. And Anyway, the synopsis is this. A woman um, my age who's sort of top of her profession as a neurologist, doctor, brain doctor, um, has run her own clinic, founded and runs her own clinic doing Alzheimer's research, but it's in a hospital. One day, a 14-year-old girl comes into A&E who's dying of a self-administered abortion that's gone wrong. The doctor sees her and for some reason is, is, becomes obsessed about keeping this girl alive, takes her up to her institute. She can't keep her alive. The girl is dying of sepsis. But since she's going to have to die, the doctor wants her to have a peaceful death. Catholic priest arrives to give the girl the last rites because the girl's family is Catholic. Doctor doesn't let the priest in because the doctor does not want the girl to know she's dying. If he comes in, she'll know she's dying. She wants her to have a peaceful death and not know that that that's happening to her. Uh, They have a fight. The doctor and the priest have a fight. Priest leaves. But he records the last bit of their argument. That then goes viral. This story goes viral um, on social media, in the press and so on. The priest is black. The doctor's Jewish and a woman of a certain age. The girl is Catholic and she's having um, she's a self-administered abortion because she hasn't been able to have a legal abortion properly done because of her family religion. So there's a lots of vested interests. Everybody has a view on this event, although hardly anybody actually witnessed it. And it goes out there and it builds and builds and builds and it becomes a huge sort of national scandal in the way that some of these events can do. And those in the hospital who have a vested interest in booting her out or have jealousies or, or the, the, the internal politics of the hospital start to go to work and the outside world goes to work and the combination of the two and her refusal to apologize, the doctor's refusal to apologize for that event as a doctor um, actually then creates a sort of a, a, a long downfall and she is in the end completely destroyed, cancelled and destroyed. It's a really impactful play and it is thought provoking on every level. It's something that I think no matter where you're coming from politically, you cannot help but be challenged by. You can't help but ask questions. And I think it's particularly poignant in the time of Roe versus Wade being overturned. And that, of course, yeah. ripples around the world because Roe versus Wade being overturned has emboldened politicians in every country who are mm. against uh, abortion to say that they're against abortion. So we're feeling the impact of Roe versus Wade everywhere. But there are mm-hmm. currently girls in America dying from uh, home-done, badly botched abortions. And mm-hmm. so this, it has since it was this play was launched in 2020 and now transferred in 2022 it has become so much more relevant like it, it Roe versus Wade was safely with us in 2020 and it's now uh, not with us at all so it feels like i i came with an american friend who was over from new york and he we were both just completely gripped i'd seen it before so i knew that i knew some of the things that were going to happen that he didn't know but he was like oh my god this is just couldn't be more relevant and challenging right now um yeah 
But the pieces around identity are very interesting because it gets to the heart of identity politics, partly because all the identities in the play are represented, but they are all swapped. So if you're Jewish in the play, you're not a Jewish actor. If you're trans in the play, you're not a trans actor. But there is a trans actor in the cast playing a cis person or a Jewish Mm -hmm. actor in the cast uh, playing a non-Jewish person. And so because of that, a lot of the assumptions you make when you first meet somebody and what you think of them and what the way you think of their behaving is flipped later because then you go, ah, but then they're carrying that identity. And so there's an extra weight there for them. But hold on a minute. Am I making an, an excuse or an assumption? And does that matter? And of course it does matter, but it helps you to unpack it, but it's not unrepresentative. And that was what was interesting about it because Robert Ike has represented every single identity in the cast. Yeah. He's just shuffled the back. And so exactly. all of the actors have signed on and agreed that, you know, if you're a black man, you're not playing a black man. If you're a white man, you're not playing a white man. And that's very, very uh, fascinating. How was that to explore in the rehearsal room? And what do you what impact do you think it has on the audience? I mean, I think it was a brilliant, brilliant decision. And it is part of the great sort of success, I think, of the event, people coming to see it. Because as you say, you know, when you see the argument between the doctor and the priest, which gets quite heated, and there's an, amb- there's an ambiguous hit, she, she strikes him in some manner. Maybe she just gently pushes him. Maybe she hits him hard. We never know because it's stylized. But it's only later that you discover that priest was black because it's played by a white actor, as you say. And it's really, I, th- I mean, that's just one example. You've given lots of examples. And I think it allows the audience as you said, to sort of retrospectively say, oh, if I'd known that the priest was black, would I have wondered, would I have had the same sympathies or would I have had the same view of this event? Might I have thought that she was acting with racist motives Mm. or not? You know, um, in rehearsal, it was really interesting. Everybody knew what they were signing up to. And I, in my view, an actor's job is to transform into somebody else. Um, We're not employed to play ourselves. That would be really dull. And usually people give better performances when they're playing somebody far away from themselves. Mm. Very often, it's more liberating. It was complicated. I mean, there were times when it was really hard for the black actors in the room to hear black experience being spoken by white actors. Mm-hmm. They knew that's what they signed up to, but it was, we had to negotiate that. Mm-hmm. And there were so many discussions about race. I mean, this was a time when we were originally rehearsed, before George Floyd was murdered, before Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter, you know, exploded on the world and, and um, went to work. And... So the whole whole subject of subconscious bias, which in my view has been one of the really, really interesting, that most incredibly valuable things to come out of that movement is that all of us have had to really sit down and consider. We may consider ourselves not to be racist, but have we, we really have had to examine all those levels of subconscious bias. And that's definitely something which came out of that rehearsal period. Um, it was, it was sometimes difficult for the women to embody male misogyny, because that's also a strong theme in the play. There's no doubt that partly what happens to her happens to her because she's a woman. She's also a woman of a certain age. You know, people don't fancy her. She's in her early 60s. You know, she's had to fight twice as hard as the men to get where she's got to. She's a very, she's a lone wolf. You can know, I, can I just pause to say I'm a feminist, yeah. but I need to question that people don't fancy her because people fancy you. So I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to say, I'm afraid the guilty pause button now on the feminist conversation. Actually, yeah, I'm sure people don't fancy me at all, but actually I really want to apologise. I want to apologise for for saying, you know, she's old and therefore she's not fanciful. You see, isn't it? 
Isn't it yeah, terrible? It's ingrained. How we, it's ingrained. What we do, it's so ingrained in us. I've just said, I'm really ashamed I've just said that. I mean, but I suppose. That's exactly what we're talking about, though, these ingrained unconscious biases in us where we go, oh, that means. Because we've been raised on posters on bus stops which tell us what fanciable looks like. And Well, you know, I'm, I am in my 60s and I do go around the world feeling completely invisible from that point of view. I mean, you know, obviously not, you know, as an actor, I've been really, really lucky. So I'm not invisible as an actor, but I'm completely invisible as a woman. That, when you go around the world with, with that, mentality it's difficult not to not for it not to be ingrained but you're absolutely right and I would like right now to say I'm I'm sorry I sort of enforced that by saying that but in other words I mean so I mean she's operating like many women I think in organizations or or workplaces which are have historically been dominated by men um she does have a huge extra problem on her hands and that's evident in the play so the whole the whole identity swap was challenging in rehearsal but I'm proud of the fact that we got through it Mm. we listened there were times when it was difficult, people got heated, but we did listen and we continue to listen. And the other thing that's difficult for the black actors is that very often members of the audience laugh. There's a point in the play where the character goes on a sort of news night panel. She goes mm. on to a telly show where she's interrogated by a panel. Each of the panel has different vested interests. There's an anti-abortion person, you know, pro-life. There's a, there's a Jewish guy who wants to talk to her about her very ambivalent relationship to her Judaism because she's Jewish um, and so on. And um, the audience quite often laugh at the panel and their comments when their comments are coming from a pro- very progressive point mm. of view. And that's very painful. Some of the black actors found that really, really difficult. Mm. And so we have to, we, we process the experience. But what I do, what we do talk about in the company is that it's amazing to be in a play which is impacting audiences like this. It's amazing to be in a show where these things are so important that people do get hurt and angry about about the content because it's valuable. It's right in the center of what, what's going on now. And I think, I mean, I'm sure I speak for a lot of people. There is quite a concern about the amount of hating that's going on. You know, hating seems to become, have become something of a hobby. And I'm very dismayed, for example, by the feminist, you know, the feminist movement where there are so many fragmented elements in the feminist movement now all kind of biting at each other, fighting each other. And you think, you know, guys, women, you know, we're not each other's enemy. We really are not. Look at the world. The world is being trashed <laughs> on so many levels, largely by, by men in power. You know, we are, we are not each other's enemy. Can we please, you know, try to um, recognize our common interests and, our, and the, bigger, the bigger picture and move out of this sort of online um, spatting, spatting at best and real sort of cancellation and cruelty at worst? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, I think the right, the right wing are laughing at us. You know, it's ideal for them. We're all so busy expending energy on destroying each other that there's not really a protest movement going on in relation to the hideous um, corruption and, and, you know, that's going on in this country and, and, and the cruelty of so many policies and so on. No, I know very much what you mean. And I also want to be very protective of marginalised identities within the feminist movement who feel like if they don't, you know, speak up and go, no, we're being subsumed that we're going to disappear. You know, um, it's yeah. so difficult. It's so, because what you're saying yeah. is right. The left are at each other's throats. It seems in multi-directionally. And you're right. It's the, if, if you're just wanting to get rich and powerful, it's really helpful to have people who are ideologically driven, destroying each other and taking each other down. It's yeah. so it's so useful for the right, for the left to take each other down. And we do in so many different directions. I wanted to ask you about the 
because uh, anti-Semitism since this play was first launched has become much more rife. And it's really frightening what's happening with anti-Semitism on, online at the moment. Um, like we've seen you know, Kanye West saying explicitly anti-Semitic things and then people holding banners up in LA. And it's very, very frightening. And I I wondered about this play in context of that because it was written by a Jewish writer. What was the original play? Because the original play had this element, but obviously wasn't about cancellation and wasn't about uh, social media because it was written in the early 20th century. Um, it, presumably it was a Jewish man not allowing a Catholic priest in to see a girl for the last rites. It was a, the Jewish man was the doctor. I would imagine in the early 20th century. Exactly. It wouldn't That's have been right. a, a he, Yeah, it was doctor. a Jewish, he's, yeah, I may, I may, he's a male, the original play by Schnitzler, he's a male doctor, um, Jewish, and his clinic that he has founded as obviously private clinic, there was no um, state health system. So um, yeah, so he was a Jewish doctor. And um, I haven't read that play, actually, shockingly. Um, well, it's, it didn't really seem very relevant to, to read it. I don't know to what extent anti-Semitism plays a part in that story because I haven't read it. Okay. So I don't know. Yeah. No, I was interested because it's a Jewish playwright. So I thought maybe that was the, you know, the heart of it. Um, it may well have been, and um, certainly it's an issue in our play um, that her rival, her main rival for power within the hospital, who she's, you know, she tries to absorb him, she tries to allow his difference and his um, his difference of opinions. She, she's constantly talking about we're a team, we're a team. When he makes a, a, um, a practitioner mistake, he makes a medical mistake, and a patient dies. Um, she won't let him take the personal blame. Her whole ethic is we're a team, we're a team. We all take responsibility for everything in this hospital. So when his anti-Semitism kicks in, in the, in the sort of war against her, he goes to exploit her, her um, this event and, and, and to sort of turn the institution against her. The institute, and this is she, another doctor. She, yeah, it's another doctor. I just want to go back and qualify what I said about the, the women's movement because I totally hear you. I would like to say, of course, my respect and understand that um, members of the women's movement do need to identify their particular experience and identity. And of course, that's, it's not that that I question. Mm -hmm. It's simply that it would be, it would be, I, I would so love us to be able to acknowledge our specific needs and our specifically different experiences as women while not destroying each other. Mm -hmm. It's only, it's only the manner in which we engage that I'm questioning, not the fact of those, um, you know, particular identities. Of course, as a white feminist, of course, I know that I live a very, privileged life and my interests and my experiences are going to be different to women of color and so on. And I completely acknowledge that. It's just, I'm talking about the manner in which we engage. I'm talking about a climate in which it would be wonderful to be able to agree to disagree or to work together in spite of differences or to sometimes recognize the bigger picture for women across the world rather than actually destroy each other or, or bring each other down because I think that's only in the interest of the patriarchy. Mm, yeah. No, I think... I Sorry, think, I've diverted, but I wanted no, to say you're that. Right. I, think, I think I'm having this conversation with many different women, with many different intersections of identity represented. I'm hearing this again and again and again uh, of where are we going with this? Because when we take out discourse online, it's so easy for it to become flammable and for it to escalate. So, you know, mm. you're not by any means the first person to, uh, or the first feminist to have said this to me. I've had a, a feminist of all different identities saying to me, 
that they're worried about the same thing. And again, it's not the engagement and it's not the fight. It's the, I suppose, sometimes the anonymity of the fight and the escalation and everything in in writing and sound bites that I think yeah. causes a lot of the issues. No, we definitely need to address it. You know, I'm really just qualifying for myself that I understand yeah, you know, that totally. there are marginalised identities within the movement yeah. who feel like yeah. they have to fight because otherwise they'll be excluded. And I get, I completely get that. Yeah, totally. And we need to hear and understand each other. We need to hear and understand, you know, women's experience that we don't have, we personally don't have. It's really, really important to listen and hear. It's it's only sometimes, I think, helpful to look at the bigger picture globally and think, you know, there's still, the world is still so dominated by by misogyny. I mean, misogyny, I see and smell it everywhere. And, and that, I suppose the, the bigger picture is that that's we, when misogyny is, is, is acknowledged to be a hate crime, when it's legislated for, I think, you know, that, that, that's one of the things I think it would be very useful to be fighting for. Mm-hmm. I know there are wonderful women MPs in, in Parliament trying to do that, but um, it's, it's, it's just there is a, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes useful to look at the bigger picture too. I think this play does a, quite a lot to... And it's a drama sometimes can be a a safe space to examine these issues. For example, this brilliant but rather abrasive Jewish doctor who you play, who you say is a woman who's, you know, not young and therefore feels in many ways that she's isolated. She's ultimately cancelled for what she feels is the only decision she could have made as a doctor, and that's what's really interesting about it, she has this very interesting conversation with a priest where they both say that their first identity, when they put their white coat or their dog collar on, has to be doctor and priest. Yeah. That's their identity. And the mm. priest acknowledges that too and goes, but I have to, you know, people are looking at the dog collar and they're expecting certain things from me and those things are important. Yeah. The, yeah. the doctor says, first of all, I've got to be a doctor. I can't be saying, ah, oh, but what's somebody's identity here? I have to say this is the ethics. And unless it's on the ch- – her parents are not available. Unless it's on the chart or her parents are giving the permission, I can't just let someone walk in, whether they're a priest or not a priest. Yeah. That's not yeah. the right thing to do ethically. Yeah. And it really made me think that identity politics has been with us for a very long time. It's just we didn't always see – identities where they were or we didn't always see how that operated and it really made me think in a complicated way and that's why I think the play is very successful because it doesn't endear you to your character for a long time but then it does really humanize your character and it does show us the human the humanity inside those who are fired and isolated because of, I don't really like using the word cancelled anymore because I'm like, it's people hear it and they, there's a whole heap of baggage, but some people are fired and some people are isolated. And in this case, she's fired and isolated for doing what she believes is the only thing ethically a doctor can do. And she would be breaking her Hippocratic oath if she didn't do this. And she ends up because it's politically expedient for everyone just to go, oh, it's easier just to let her go. But at the same time, there is a nuance about her unconscious bias Mm-hmm. to the way she's dealt with a black man, which, you know, is valid. Um, very complicated. As these things are, as human beings are so complicated, none of us are good or bad. We are all a complicated mass of assumptions, hopes, fears, dreams, 
uh, embarrassment. <laughs> you know, a lot of it's ego. You know, a lot of reasons people won't apologize is ego or people mm. are forced to apologize for things they haven't yet come to yet or may mm. permanently disagree with. And, you know, it's it's very, very, very complicated. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I loved how complicated the play was and how much I didn't always know what to think. Yeah, I think the important, I mean, one of the most important, one of the most valuable things about this show is that you're not invited to sympathise with my character. And when she goes onto this TV panel, this Newsnight thing, and there's all these different vested interests, um, people on the panel, you really are encouraged and invited to see all those points of view. They're all given really good arguments. There's no right or wrong. It's a, it's a play which says we're not concerned with right or wrong. We're concerned with points of view. We're concerned with being able to look at the thing. It's like a sort of, it's like a prism. It keeps turning and you see a different facet, a different face of it. And the light is thrown on a different face of this, this turning sort of prism. And, and I suppose it's an appeal to look at things. I mean, it's not really, it's not really doing anything, the play. The play is just the play. But I suppose what I hope it's doing in a way is saying, look, come and see it. Sit in the dark in safety. You're risking nothing. Lots of people are now frightened to speak out, you know, on, on their social media platforms or even to each other. Um, you can sit in the dark. You can look at all these points of view in safety. You can hear them. You're invited to share them and listen and try to understand everybody's different, everybody's differences. And there's no risk to you. And we can see, we can perhaps think about what it is to actually try to live alongside different points of view without completely condemning them or pulling them apart. Um, I mean, she's an interesting control. She's a control experiment, Ruth, my character, because she's somebody, she's a woman who has defined herself purely by her job, as you said. She's a woman, but she doesn't use gender. as She doesn't really want to be defined by gender as an issue. She's Jewish. She doesn't want to be defined by her Judaism. Um, she's not religious. She doesn't want to be defined as an atheist or, um, she just wants to be known as a doctor. And in a way, you think, well, is that actually possible to choose not to be who you are because of any of those things, but simply, but what I try and do is say, yeah, but the reason she does that is because her experience of growing up as a girl was a very unhappy one. Gender didn't support her development in the world as a child and a teenager. Gender, you know, Jewishness or Jewish, maybe she was the victim of anti-Semitism. So she doesn't particularly want to identify that way. She has reshaped herself as a young woman in the world by going into medicine. And medicine is a place where she can excel. She's really smart, really clever. She does well. She works hard. And that's a safe space for her. So her safe space is not to be identified by the very things that have caused her pain in her earlier years. I'm not, I'm not advocating that. I'm just explaining it. What theatre is about is not really to judge. It's about to say this, just to examine and to say, to invite people to say, just, just try and understand this. Look at it. Try to understand it. You don't have to identify with it. You don't have to 
accept it even, but just understand why this person has become the person they are and why they say and do what they say and do. I think that's so much what theatre is about, you know, in the end. That's why it's both very compassionate and very political with a small p because it's inviting not judgment but but understanding tolerance and and to some extent enlightenment you know but to me that's why it's so important that we get more diverse theater practitioners because if for generations we've been invited to understand through one lens and in this country that's mostly let's be honest white men making the work yeah. um, their examination or their empathy will be is not invalid it's just looking out one window and what they imagine those experiences to be. And so without actors fighting their corner for their character, we wouldn't have any small p political examinations of these things at all. Thank God we've had some great actors. But I think also there just has not been enough queer theatre in this country, enough theatre made by people of colour, you know. And so this, what you're saying is absolutely true. And it's a real argument for more and more and more theatre to be made by diverse casts. And so I am very interested Mm. to see, and I'd love to talk more to your cast at some point about how they've found this experience and whether they've felt it was a success. Do you think overall that the cast have enjoyed it? Yeah, I do. I think, I think what, you know, it's not been easy. It's been challenging. It is nightly challenging for the reasons I talked about earlier but I think the cast are amazing. They're in a fantastic company, both as actors and as human beings. And I think we've made, it's made us very close. I mean, I love the whole the thing I love about theatre is it's an ensemble. And it's an ensemble which cr- contains every so many different kinds of identity. And I, I totally agree with you. We need so much more diversity. And, and not, not just diversity to make issue-related theatre, but for people to come in and interpret you know, classical plays, any plays from, from mm. the point of view of who they are and, and what they their, and their life experience. Let's bring that to bear on Shakespeare. Let's bring that to bear on new writing, which is not just necessarily exclusively about your own experience, but about all experience, you know. And and no, it's I mean, it's a complete joy to have such a diverse cast. And it's all it's a, a big learning curve for me. I feel humbled by it. I feel I've learned loads from it. And I can't really imagine in some ways going back to the old. I don't really have any desire to go back to the old ways. I think this is not blind casting. And, you know, I don't really believe in blind casting. I don't think you can randomly cast characters um, black or white just because you sort of want to tick that box. I think what's really wonderful about this show is that people have been chosen specifically. You know, these things are being examined specifically. There's a frame around these things. They're being examined um, by choice. It's not just randomly sort of I prefer the term conscious casting. I don't like... You know, as you say, like when people say, oh, it's gender blind or, or it's, it's race blind, I'm like, no, it's not blind. It's actually exactly. conscious. It's consciously saying, if yeah. King Lear is a black woman, how does it change it? Not yeah. just, oh, isn't that nice now that, you know, uh, Adjua Ander gets to have a go at Lear. It's not about that. It's about yeah. what's that framework then and how what would she bring to that? And I think, exactly. I think we should bring in the term conscious casting more and more rather than blind casting because I think it's, it's the opposite yeah. of blind. It's 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 well, it's well it asking, is the opposite. I mean, it's inviting different questions. So it's not that we. Yep, there's so much complexity in Shakespeare. I also do think we should have more writing. There's too many theatres in this country devoted to Shakespeare, to the writing of one man who died a long time ago. But I also do want to examine those things from different points of view, consciously, not blindly. But it's really interesting what you're saying about that Newsnight section where people 
some of the audience laugh. And I think they're laughing because it's being presented as, well, this is the BBC for balance piece. But then mm. they stop laughing because when the aftermath of that makes them question why they were laughing and what they were laughing at. And I think it's, it's, that certainly that's, yeah. that was my experience of the play that, um, yeah. that the, the laughter from the audience for me was coming from everything we say now on, uh, on the BBC, we have to say the other thing. And, and it was, I didn't get the impression the audience were laughing at individuals saying things more. Here's all of the viewpoints, you know, you're going to hear, and then the aftermath of that makes you go, oh, no, the audience should not have laughed at that. Similarly, I just saw Helen Hunt in a play called Eureka Day at the Old Vic, which was about similar issues. And it was set in a Californian school called Eureka Day School. And where all of these sort of very sensitive new age parents were, uh, there was there was lots of laughter at them, both coddling their children, but also being quite brutal to each other on a chat on a Zoom. Mm. Um, and at first I was like, oh, am I just laughing at, you know, everyone's so sensitive now. But then what happens and the turns it takes, you feel bad for having laughed almost because it whips the rug out and you go, oh no, there's human beings under all of this. And all of this, even if it looks like posturing of I, my child's on more organic food than your child. Even if it's all a posture and, or you're uh, rolling your eyes at it, people are protecting themselves. People are protecting their children. People are, people are frightened. People are worried. And when plays then explore the humanity underneath and not just that top line of things we find risible today in inverted commas, they're worth putting on and they're worth us examining. Yeah. So I really... Yeah. I hope you reassure the cast that from my point of view anyway, if that's any reassurance, probably isn't. Um, I think the audience were laughing, not at the points of view, but at the sort of way in which now points of view are, we've got to say this, we've got to say this, we've got to say this. And then the rug is pulled and the audience feel, oh, I should never have laughed at that. Or here's what's underneath that. And I think for me anyway, the laughter that comes at that point is almost us participating in the theatre and becoming a character in the show because then we yeah. get changed, we get physically altered and emotionally altered. Uh, so please pass that on to the cast for me, if you I could. will. I mean, this, this is fantastically interesting because I, I'm, it's making me realise that actually, you're right, if they start laughing, when people announce their titles, so for example, one woman on the panel is a woman of colour and she introduces herself as a an author um, an academic and an activist on the subject of post-colonial studies. Sometimes there's a sort of laugh at that. There's a titter as though the word mm -hmm. post-colonial is amusing. And we all get really pissed off with that. But actually that character completely unaggressively and with incredible intelligence then takes apart my character's attitudes, behavior. And it's not that she's, she does it gently and carefully, but with real brilliance. Mm. And that conversation, which is the longest one on that panel, mm. really exposes the whole nature of subconscious bias. That's what that conversation achieves. So the audience are taken on that journey. And Ruth's saying, I don't see people. It's not, I don't see colour. That Ruth's the sort of person who walks, my character walks around the world saying, I don't see colour. I didn't hit, I didn't reject him, that priest from the hospital because he was black. It was just, I didn't, but, but it's naive to say that. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's uneducated and it's, it's, um, she, she needs to understand that you can't, you know, there are, there is a history there. Mm -hmm. If you, if, if as a white person in authority, you reject 
this black priest and throw him out of the hospital and refuse to let him do his job. However clean your motives in terms of wanting to protect your patient, you have to understand that there are huge consequences of that. There is a whole history behind that man. And you can't be deaf to that history or blind to that history. You have to understand it. You have to see your behavior in a context. And that's what that conversation on the panel does, which is so valuable. Yeah. And so Treating and everyone doesn't... the same doesn't uh, – the last thing we should do is treat everyone the same because yeah. it doesn't take because account not... for that person's <laughs> history and the and generational trauma. But also – you know, not a level playing field in the first place. So you treat everybody the same. It's, I mean, that's true of wealth distribution. It's, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And also, you know, I read David Baddiel's book, Jews Don't Count, which is fascinating and in so interesting. And he says the way Jewish people are called white people. And he's like, well, hold on a minute though, but look at the history of Jewish people. Where have Jewish people ever felt safe or you know it's so interesting and it's so complicated i just want to say if you can get to this show go in to be challenged go in to have a dialogue go into you will enjoy it. it's very very enjoyable it's not homework it's not like you know eating your vegetables it is a really it's a really brilliant show brilliant brilliant play um and you will not be bored for a second you will be gripped but you take someone you want to have a good conversation with and then afterwards go to the pub and have it out, you know, has to have these conversations, these deep conversations yeah. with someone you trust and respect who trusts and respects you. Um, Juliet Stevenson, you have been a delight. Where can we see the doctor and for how long? The doctor is at, um, it's got another month, so not very long. We're on until December the 11th at the Duke of York's Theatre. On in St Martin's Lane, um, tickets are not cheap. You can get in um, if you, you know it, the whole range of ticket prices, and it's cheaper Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays than it is at the weekend. So do do come. Um, I think everybody of all all identity groups, ages, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, are coming, and, and people do seem to have a, a, a riotously good evening. It's not a huge West End theatre, so if you buy the really cheap ones at the back, you will still see it. Brilliant. Here, it's, yeah, it's definitely. not it's not one of those ones where you need to be right down the front. So if you yeah, if you are yeah. as nearly everyone is now on a budget, look for those Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday tickets and get one out the back and uh go see it if you possibly can. If not, you can buy the play and have a read of it, get it on your Kindle, it will be a few quid. But if you can see Juliet in this role, I would. Are you going to Broadway with this play? We're going to New York in um, in, in June, July, August. Um, we're going actually to the Park Armory Theatre, which isn't officially Broadway. It's um, it is in the middle of Manhattan, but it's um, it's not pro it's not for profit. But yeah, so is it like one of those off Broadway ones, like the Doma Warehouse or the Armida? It's sort of like a glamorous. It is, except it's massive. Yeah, except it's massive. It's it is exactly. So That's if really you're in New York and listening to this, you'll be able to see it in the summer next year. Get your tickets yeah. early. The Park Armory. Yeah. Um, thank you yeah. so much, Juliet. This has been a oh. really wonderful conversation, and uh, I love hearing from you as always. And please come back on the show anytime that you have oh. an issue. Uh, or anything political that you would like to talk about, anything, any activism you'd like to talk about. I say that with the knowledge that you would come on every single week because you are such <laughs> a constant activist in my oh. life. Oh, um, you too. Thank you so much for having me, Deb. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. Lots of love. Bye. Lots of love. Bye. Bye.
The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com